It feels like the 65th time. It feels like the 65th time doing the podcast. Hey. Wait, you're not really counting all those like like the micro episodes we did and things like that. So we're we're I think we've clocked in over a hundred, haven't we? Oh, we're definitely over a hundred, but I feel like because we do title these ones with the number, it just feels like the right thing to do is to include the number. Right. Like if you're reading the show notes right now and you're like, wait, this doesn't say 103 or whatever the number is, you're going to be a little like bait and switch. I was told this was episode 65, but 66, 64, 67, I don't even know. No, it's 65. I'm very excited for it. In a way, it almost feels like our first episode. No, no, no not so. <laughs> Well, what it is, is it's an episode about first-time directors, um, which, oh boy, uh, what was it? I think Monday, I was like, "Can we, we have to split this. I need to do this in like six categories. I need to find a way to break this up because I don't know how your list creating was, Jeremy, but, and it's surprising, like, again, so as the resident millennial, uh, fringe millennial, whatever, uh, I wasn't sure how far back I'd wind up going. Uh, this is an episode that inherently required research. Like you really had to go looking. And once I went looking, right. oh boy, it's a lot. It's it definitely was a split upable splitter upper. It could have been a, could have been a bit of a bit of a slip, sp- splitter upper. Can you get your daughter to sing that? I think there's lyrics <laughs> for that future song. What my struggle was, and we did go back and forth a little bit, everybody, and what the problem was really, there was no great split that we came up with. So we thought about like by genre, like put all the dramas over here and sort of everything else over there. And it it sort of didn't work. And then by year, it also sort of didn't work. My ending, my, my pool to choose from looks to be somewhere in those like mid to high 30s right about now. Yep. Uh, but when I took out animation, which was an agreement we made, it got into that, like right around that high 20s number that feels really good. Like That's yeah. a good space. Yeah, I, I wound up with 27, um, which is aggressively edited uh, just because I couldn't keep more. And I never went animation because when I start, you always are making your list ahead of time. Like basically, for those of you that don't know, <laughs> when we hang up, on this podcast and Jeremy finds out what the next podcast is going to be. Jeremy starts working because he's a responsible podcast host. I don't. So I didn't start until like Monday or Tuesday or whatever. And I was like, Hey, we're just not going to do animation. Right? Like, I feel like that's a whole other genre sort of thing. And it's a different kind of directing. And he was like, yeah, I don't have to. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. So animation (laughs) never even made my list. And I was still in the fifties, which for me is clearly a big deal because Basically, taking animation out of my list hurts my soul. Yeah, I soul got it. I think yeah. um, there's a there you go. There's there's a little bit of a my biggest concern of the episode is that we're probably looking at the same pool because 
sort of that requirement to do your research on this one yeah. meant that you probably like I did my same shtick, which is I go to my rated list of movies on uh, on IMDb, which is now into the 1300s or so <laughs> quantity of movies. I also only look at anything that I gave a seven or higher to. To me, like a Jeremy seven means I at least enjoyed it. I didn't yeah. necessarily think it was amazing, but I'll even take a movie like uh, Mortal Kombat, my, my example. That's a seven in my little ranking system. Even though I know as films go, it's more like a four or five. Sure. But I like it, so therefore it gets to be a bit higher. Yeah, of course it does. It's your list. It's my list. So, JT. Yes, sir. Before we do our regular thing, and our regular thing would be, is there a category definer? We call it the Shawshank and do our top five and all our fun stuff. I've got a little trivia game for you. Great. It is more an exploration of the amazingness that this category opened up during research okay. than it is. And it is a likely, there'll be, I think I got 10 ish things for you to guess. I expect you to get like one or something. Okay. So it's not great. This is not a, a real true test of trivia. It's more like, Oh my gosh, look at some of these movies. Okay. Got it. Okay. So wait, is it possible that any of these are going to wind up, wind up being on our list? No. Well, I mean, if you did, we might have to talk. Okay. What this list is, movies whose directors, whose first movie is kind of a meh, but their second movie is amazing. Okay. And I did think we'd really do best second movies as a category because that would kind of feel, I don't know. It was just the, I went looking for these directors. They're, they're all directors I actually sought out to see what happened with their, with their careers. Okay. Okay. So the first thing I'll do is I'll tell you the first movie. We'll see if you have a guess or a stab in the dark at that. I'll then give you their second movie and see how you do on that one. I think you'll do really well on second and really poorly on first. Probably pretty bad on both, but let's see what happens. All right. In the order that just sort of happened as I was doing homework. First movie, Alien 3. No idea. Uh, this one's, this is the most well-known. Uh, no, second most well-known of the whole list. The next movie he did was Seven. Oh, I'm not going to remember his name, but uh, yeah, the guy from Seven. What's his name? Yeah, David David Fincher. David yeah. Fincher. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, next up, a movie entitled Schlock. Never heard of that. Second movie, Kentucky Fried Movie. Never seen that. Okay, how about this? Then goes on in order to do the following movies. Animal House, Blues Brothers, American Werewolf in London, Trading Places, Spies Like Us, Three Amigos, Coming to America. That's amazing. I'm embarrassed to say that I don't know who the director is. It's okay to not know because it's conf it's easy to confuse this guy with others, but it's John Landis. John Landis. Okay. Yeah. So if you gave me a name people from this time, I would have gotten to Landis, but it wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to associate him with those particular movies, but yeah, he's in that pool, run. right? Like, oh yeah. I, I didn't even realize next up the duelists. I have no idea what that is. Nor, nor had I, but his second movie was alien. Alien. Alien one. See, this is where I get scared because I know we're being recorded and now I don't want to guess who I think it is because I don't remember who did Alien the first one. Ridley Scott. Okay, so that's not what I was going to say, which is no okay. problem. Okay. All right. Piranha 2. Great movie. 
This is this is a this is one of those like a movie nerd trivia thing. Uh, next up was Terminator. Again, embarrassing. Don't know who did it. Oh, you do. That's James Cameron. I did know he did it. Yeah, yeah. you're right. I yeah, you're right. I did know that. I mean, not off. Yeah, okay. James Cameron. I'm terrible. I get. I do so bad at these every time we do it. But go ahead. Should we stop the guessing part and I'll just give no, you some no, crazy no. trivia? No, I'll you're keep in? not getting it right. Okay. First movie from uh, I don't I didn't write down the year, but I believe very late seventies could have been early eighties. So no relation. Grand Theft Auto. Okay, cool. Next movie was Night Shift. I love Night Shift, but I don't know who did it. Ron Howard. Wow. Ron Howard's done everything. He did a movie right? called Grand Theft Auto? Sure did. Interesting. Uh, next one, n- movies entitled Nomads. Never heard of it. Follow-up was Predator. Again, embarrassed. Don't know who did that. John McTiernan from Die Hard, from Die which Hard. is his very next movie. Pretty good. It's pretty good, too. Movie, movie, unknown movie called Public Access. Public Access? Okay. Followed by The Usual Suspects. Again, sure. It's all right. Brian Singer. Don't judge the person, just the art. Uh, A movie called Colossus of Rhodes. Never heard of it. Followed up with Fistful of Dollars. Classic. Should know it. Clint Eastwood? I don't know. Sergio Leone. Sergio Leone. Good for me. How about this one? I think you might have this one. First movie was called Made. Okay. Second movie was called Elf. Favreau. Yeah. That one I knew. <laughs> there you go. All right, last oh, two. Wait. Made is the was wasn't made the horrible follow up to Swingers. It was the spiritual sequel or spiritual whatever it was sequel. considered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I saw that in the theaters. Um, Sorry. Fistful of fingers. Okay. Which I presume is some weird takeoff on Fistful of Dollars, but probably who knows. Followed up with Shaun of the Dead. Oh, oh no. Peg doesn't direct those, right? He does not. It's uh, uh, Edgar Wright. Uh, yeah, okay. And last up, a movie called Used Cars. Okay. Followed up with Romancing the Stone and then Back to the Future. Yeah, again, like I, I'm, I feel shame and horror right now, but I can't think of who this is. Zemeckis. Zemeckis. All right. Yeah. Okay. I'm terrible at that. Apparently. Who also, but by the way, nobody should have gotten the first ones. I think a lot of people know Piranha 2. If you really like were into Cameron, um, that was like a, that, that was like a famous ish one, but all the rest of these I'd never heard of. And what happened was each of the movies that was the successful one had triggered me to go see, Oh, is that their first movie? I'm like, is alien Ridley Scott's first movie? Cause that'd be amazing. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. No. You learned all the trade from doing The Duelists, which none of us have ever seen. No, I've never heard of it. I just assume Antonio Banderas was in it regardless of when it came out. <laughs> uh, okay, so that leads – I did terrible, but that was fun. Um, I, I didn't bother doing what you did because I just know where my limits are. So I didn't bother thinking, I wonder if this was anybody's first movie. I literally just went, I need to go find lists of the first movies that people made. There was three individual people that I looked up specifically. One of them made my top five and the other two, I was way off 
on whether it was their first movie or not. So that leads us to the Shawshank, which do you have a Shawshank this week? I do. And I have a little story about it. Do you? I have one for sure. And then I have one that I want to put forward and then one that I think is probably the right one that I'm not going to bother with. But there's one very clear thing here for me. And then there's the one that I want to do because I think it's fun. But I think you get to go first this week. So why don't you go first? All right. Uh, do you want the whole gamey? Yeah, sure. Stick it up. I got to figure, you got to tell me what you're like. This is, this is my caveat into what your five words are going to be. Cause I'll do the same thing for you. All right. Movies from 1941. Okay. And the five word clue. So the, the, my, I, I will tell you the shtick because I think this first one is particularly, you know what? I'm going to let the next one tell the shtick. We'll see if you can, we'll see if you can work with it. Okay. Also did something not good. Also did something not good. All right. I mean, I, I, that's not helping me at all, but I'm like 99 or let's say I'm a hundred percent Metacritic. Sure. I know what movie this is. You should be a hundred percent Metacritic. Sure. Of what movie this is. Yeah. So this is Citizen Kane. And this isn't Kane by Orson Welles. Yeah. So my quick story on this is, I, I, it was one of those like, like in my head somewhere. Oh, Orson Welles' first movie is Citizen Kane. So that's got to be the one here. A, it's not my favorite movie, not by a long shot. In fact, I think the longer we get away from it, the more it just sort of sits there as a, this changed filmmaking for everybody forever. And we should respect that. And it's great that it did. But the movie itself just doesn't hold up. And the fact that, Everybody in the world knows who what Rosebud was, but we won't spoil it for you this time. So if you are going into this episode without knowing about Rosebud, you will make it successfully through Citizen Kane. That was it. But the weird thing on the research, Orson Welles did a movie uh, sort of called, and I think this is kind of funny, Too Much Johnson. Eh, good for him. And I don't know if that's just funny in modern slang or because I'm thinking about uh, too many cooks. Right, right. <laughs> too many cooks. But for a while, I was like, oh, I guess it wasn't his first movie. And that was just a thing I had wrong. And then again, in prepping my notes yesterday, I went wanting to read this one more time. I'm like, what is too much Johnson? What? I've never heard of this thing. So it turns out he made like 40 minutes of footage for use in a play so it was like a play that would have stuff happening on the screen, but the stuff on the screen was actually original. You know, like the cop movie in Home Alone, the uh, the, yeah. the, the gangster movie? Yeah. Something, whatever it is. Uh, somebody know, people know the title of that thing. Um, anyhow, uh, so that turns out that's what Orson Welles did. It's not considered a film debut, and that was never actually released in theaters. So Citizen Kane does still win the uh, category. Yeah, so this was my, this should be the right answer one. So I accept this as a Shawshank because it's definitely, I, by the way, agree personally, like Citizen Kane's fine. Like, I, I get it. I get why it's a big deal. But like, if you're like, do you want to watch Citizen Kane? I'd be like, absolutely not. Right. Right. I, I think in the same way people will one day look back at, for example, like the Fellowship of the Ring is as a perfect movie on using like forced perspective to do special effects. And yep. who knows if the movie will hold up in 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. No, totally fair. All right, so I'm going to put mine forward then, which I think you can probably 
figure out what I'll do. I think I know what yours is, and I've actually put it in my top five if we are talking about the same thing. I'm ready to talk about it today. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to accept Citizen Kane, and you go first, and let's just see. let's just see if it happens. Let's see if it happens. Okay. Well, my first choice, JT, and for those new to the cast, what we do is we give each other a few clues and see if we can guess each other's movies, and we win and don't track fictional points. So the first one is from 1994. Sure. Yeah, it's got Clancy Brown and William Sadler in it. Sounds great. And yeah, I don't know if you've heard of it or not. It's, it's but it, you know, it's a pretty good work by this director, this guy. The five words clue are went on to marching undead. I'm not picking up at all what your top five theme is this week, but clearly I know what this movie is. Go for it. Okay, so this is Shawshank Redemption. It sure is. Yeah, of course it is. Okay. So the director is Frank Darabont. Sure is. And he went on to do The Walking Dead. I see what you're doing now. The five words is about the the director. Okay, I'm into this. Got it. Thank All you. All right. And so Orson Welles also did something not good, was Touch of Evil. Got it. It's great. They're not going to be easy. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for that, but I had a lot of fun doing it anyway. Yeah, you're not sorry, but I, I love you for it. It's okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Here's what's interesting. So this is Frank Darabont's first anything. Yeah. Like he did some little little work, some shorts and some TV writing and stuff. And he's done a lot more writing. I find a few things really fascinating. First, he does this. He then does The Green Mile. He does this movie called The Majestic with Jim Carrey. And then he goes and does The Mist. Three of his four biggest movies are Stephen King adaptations. Yeah. Which is particularly interesting when the first two are sort of Stephen King's least um, supernatural, you know, there's nothing to, like, Green Mile has a little bit, but not too much. No, they're his least Stephen King books. Yeah. Yeah. There's another one. There's another one. And it sort of will come up in our discussions a little later. So I thought that was interesting. One of the things fascinating, though, is why I want to not Shawshank this is to take this story, so I've read most of Stephen King's work, JT. In fact, I started reading books like It and The Stand when I was like 13, uh, which I can't tell if was, was good or excellent or terrible parenting. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure given this era that I don't know if my kids would make it through those books the same way I did. Namely, not as messed up as me. I don't know. <laughs> right. But the story is called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. And it is roughly the same storyline, but radically less, I don't know, inspirational. It's less a story of hope. It's less a story of, of a really tight friendship. The The story of Red and Andy uh, are, uh, Dufresne are much less um, tight, tied together the way they are in the movie. So to take a basically sort of a prison break story and turn it into what most people would say is the most rewatchable movie of all time with a topical area that is kind of bleak throughout. Like this is not actually a happy movie till mo till pretty near the end. Yeah. end end. End end. Right. And has some downright terrible moments. Sure does. Right. But somehow we all love watching it. Love it. And I think there's something about that accomplishment of taking bleaker stories and making them somehow like when I think about stuff I want to rewatch, 
I, it, it, I'm not going to tell you a lot of movies about people being stuck in prison other than like this and the great escape. Right. <laughs> right. So I really, I, I didn't want to talk too much about obviously the story shot. We don't need to. Everybody has of course seen it a hundred times or more, but I want to just absolutely give, I, I wanted to shout out the Darabont credit for making this movie and give it its time to be talked about. Because again, the writing was already tight. The source material was interesting, but this was a transformative piece of work, possibly more so than any other movie I have on this list. Yeah, I think that's beautifully said, and, and that's exactly why I was going to Shawshank it. Aside from it's funny because it's the Shawshank, and so Shawshanking the Shawshank is always a good time. Uh, but yeah, everything you said is exactly why. I really do think, aside from Citizen Kane being the right, I took a film class answer, like this is actually <laughs> like this is my real answer. Like I really do think that when you think about like has anyone ever produced a better film as a first time director than Frank Darabont? The answer is no. Like right, no, because this this does that amazing thing which it it rides the chasm of film and movie the whole way through, and it never lands in either camp. It does both perfectly, and that is like the rarest of rare. For me, like I just can't think of there's like only a handful of movies that I can think of that I think genuinely do that both like 50-50 that like usually it, it tips towards somewhere. And this one never does. Like even though it has the payoff in the end and all this stuff, it never, ever falters. It's so brilliant. So yeah, I'm I, I'm glad that clearly I'm glad to get to talk about it for two seconds too because it's just it's such a good movie film film movie. Nice. Yeah, I thought about Shaw I was going to Shawshank the Shawshank, by the way. I had that in there. Of course. I actually originally wrote like the honorary Shawshank would go to Citizen Kane yep. as a sort of what you're saying. It's sort of the, the filmy answer to things. Of course. But then straight on to Shawshank for the rest. Yeah, like our Shawshank for our show is the Shawshank. But yeah. because like we don't want to get blasted by film nerds on Twitter, fine. You guys can have Citizen Kane. <laughs> I, I, I'm up for a Twitter debate about about such things. Yeah, same. Yeah, just tag us so we know it's happening because we're not always on top of all of the tweets. There's a lot of tweets happening. That's true. There's almost, some would say, too many tweets. Uh, all right, so my turn. Uh, I'm going to start with, my list is weird. I'm going to start with the one that I think is the most obvious. And I it, even though I think it's the most obvious, I actually don't think you'll have it in your top five. So hmm. October 1st of 1993, uh, it's a well-regarded well movie. It's an 80%. Uh, this is a very hard cast to give you anyone from, but I'll give you Catherine Narducci and Joe Pesky. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am confused here. Joe Pesci in 93? Yes, sir. And what was the other name? Catherine Narducci. Is that a person I should be more aware of? No, not really. If I give you anybody else that like is even remotely, she you would be aware of her. If I give you anybody else, like the big three, I think it, it would sell it out pretty fast. So my only guess in 93, and actually now I'm hoping this is the movie. Is, it, is there any chance this is My Cousin Vinny? It's not My Cousin Vinny, no. no the only other thing I can think of with Pesci around that, it's not Goodfellas, obviously, um, is uh, the super? Nope. <laughs> Where he's a terrible, That's, terrible superintendent. 
I'm just so happy that got brought up. I happen to kind of like love love that movie. Like it's, it's cute. It's a very funny movie, but no, it's not the super. Okay, then uh, then you have me stumped, sir. So five words. Uh, this will this is a very easy way to introduce you to the five words. Story from New York City, kind of borough. This is a Bronx tale. This is a Bronx tale. Ah, this is so. That's Chaz. This is Chaz Palminteri, right? No, this is Robert De Niro. Which is the one with Chaz Palminteri? So Chaz Palminteri wrote this, wrote the wrote the play, and is the writer and stars in it as Sonny, but this is Bobby De Niro's directorial de- debut. De Niro de- directed it? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Now, how, how did you find this? Was this like... This, did is you one think- of, this is one of the ones I knew. You knew that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I love a Bronx Tale in the, and we'll do a mob movie someday because it's such a fun category. Uh, and I'm not going to give away where this is. Needless to say, I, I have a high level of respect for this movie. Um, I think it's a classic. Um, from a directorial standpoint, the reason I like this is because you got to see De Niro borrow from Coppola, Scorsese, and everyone he'd ever worked with, and you can literally do it scene by scene. Like you can see all these little moments where it was like, oh yeah, this is Scorsese, this is Coppola, oh this is like he's you know he's pulling from this, and it's not just that; it's like from individual moments of individual movies. But it's really well done. Again, Chaz Palminteri, this is amazing source material. It's such a such a cool story. Um, but like the bar fight scene and the constant cutting is like a scene that always stood out to me. Uh, the door test, which is like one of my favorite little bits from this in general, which is not the Mario test because Mario is a psychopath, as they clearly outline in the movie. Uh, but the door test, which is like back in the day when you didn't have automatic doors, you would go unlock the door for the girl and then leave your door locked and see if she bent over to unlock the door for you. And if she did, she was like a keeper, which is such a cool thing. But the, the filming of that scene is Sonny backing down two streets in this huge Cadillac. And it's such an interesting choice because like there's a lot of subtext to it, which is like he doesn't have to go the right way down a road as he's giving this really like cute, sweet advice because they also tackle a really heavy topic at the moment, which was like interracial dating. It's just like such a cool scene and it was filmed really well. Uh, And I just love this movie and it's Bobby De Niro. And I think it's like it has all these really sweet elements, which... I think this movie gets forgotten for how sweet it is in a lot of ways because uh, it does have like the mob stuff going on, but it's also like just a really, really good mob movie. The other thing that I just want to mention purely movie based around this that I hadn't thought of until I started re- like thinking about it for the podcast. I loved Sonny as a kid, which is how Chaz Palminteri's character loved him. Slick, owned the neighborhood, takes care of everybody. Great dude. Did you... You're like seven when this comes out. Oh, yeah. Is this one of those like saw a little early and just sort of- Way too early. Way too early. But then just sort of chomped your teeth into it like, I'm just going to, this is my movie, deal with it. Loved it forever. Like loved it forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, But when I was thinking about this movie, I actually was thinking about Sonny and I started thinking about Lorenzo, which is actually C's father played by Bobby De Niro. And- I want to watch it again because there's this like all of a sudden these two scenes came into my head, specifically the one where like old like Lorenzo's yelling at little C because he like got money from the craps table because he was working for Sonny and he goes and confronts Sonny. 
like now as a dad, I was like, oh my God, that scene ends with him like carrying his son out of this bar, like in his arms. And I was like, I think I'm on Lorenzo's side now. And I'm just fascinated to go back because I think it would be a very different experience now as like a, as a dad. But Bobby De Niro is iconic. Mob movies are so much fun. There's a, a lot of lovely odes to also some Westerns in here based on some of the fight scenes. It's a really, really cool directed movie. And I don't think a lot of people give De Niro credit for like how well he did in a genre that I think people expected a lot of him. And I think he nailed it. Nice. I don't think I've seen this movie since probably when it came out. So this, good. this, this re- I recall seeing this basically in college. So this is one of those like a little too young. You know, it's a bad time to really see movies, right? Yeah, it's it's cool. a really good time to see movies that, that are really close to your age group. I think yes. if you're in college or your early 20s, you should be, not should be, but like th- those are the movies that will stick with you and, and you'll start to identify with. Whereas when you see movies like these, or even your Godfather, like some of these amazing movies that are you're just not in the right generation for, I feel like you you walk away with like, oh yeah, yeah, that was, that was really good. Wait, yeah. what was that again? Yeah, no, totally. You should rewatch this. I'm gonna have to rewatch it. Well, I'm gonna stick with the timeline since I did '94, you did '93. Next up is 1992. Okay. And tricky on the cast. So same deal, like this is about as close as I could get without full giveaway, I think. I don't know. Steve Buscemi. Okay. I was going to try to say Buscemi to see if I could just mess with you a bit. And Tim Roth. Okay. Also made Brides two-parter. Yeah, so I know what this is. Go ahead. It's Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, of course. What an amazing start. I almost wanted to put this as my first one for the for the week, but, you know, Shawshank. Right, of course. It's interesting because I've seen, I'm going to go with 70% of Tarantino's work. How about you? I I would imagine it's got to be close to 90. You're probably, yeah, you're probably 90 to 100 would be my hunch. I'm, what, what, probably, what do you recall not seeing? I was going to say he's done some stuff. It depends on what you consider him doing. Some of the production stuff that he's done that was like literally like Chinese import things. I haven't seen all of that. But as far as what he's directed, I can't think of a single movie he's directed. I haven't seen at least twice. Okay. So, yeah, I, I only include the ones that, that he's like the directing. Even Even the writing I don't usually include in the same list because it's it's just a different uh, type of work, right? Yeah, for sure. So to come out with a movie like Reservoir Dogs, where he's done some really interesting cinematic stuff, he's done his homage to every other screen, screenplay, screenwriter, screen director, screen anything before. Like he is gripped from everything in Reservoir Dogs. You could almost argue it's like a scene by scene. Here I'll do a little Scorsese. Here I'll do a little. This guy, little that guy, you know, there's no Spielberg influence, I don't feel, but basically, like a lot of classic, especially film noir style sure. uh, uh, directors he's he's worked from, not worked from, but inspired by, paid reference to. And what's interesting about it is that this movie then goes off and gets gripped by everybody else. Yep. Which, which I just love. And it's not my absolute favorite of his. I think it's still going to be hard to beat Pulp Fiction in my head as like the the best of Tarantino's work. But I used to love piggybacking these two movies. This was my college movies, is watching Dogs and then Pulp Fiction. 
And there was this thing that came out at the time, and I don't remember if it was a documentary or a special short. I should probably go. I'm sure it's on the internet somewhere. It was called Truth and Fiction. And part of the idea was that the story of Reservoir, Do- Reservoir Dogs, where we're going to spoil this one a little because it's like a 20, 30-year-old movie. Yeah, it came out in 92. I think you're safe. Yeah. So when they all sort of shoot each other in the end. <laughs> right. There's an element where, like, that's a story of truth. That's what people would do. That's playing... That's their basic instincts in this in this scenario. Whereas in Pulp Fiction, where you have the same three-way standoff, and they manage to talk each other down off the ledge, you know, come down, honey bunny, right? All that stuff right. is more fiction inherent in the title of the movie. I love so, it. So love that. I mean, even thinking about Reservoir Dogs just puts me straight back into my college apartment. Like, yeah, you want to watch that again? Okay, go get the VHS tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a great pick. I only didn't have it in my top five because I have Tarantino'd enough. Um, but it is my literally the very first thing. My list later we'll get to. I didn't separate Contender and Fast Five. There's just a big list of stuff. I did five words for everything because I had no idea what was going to happen. Uh, but it's, it is literally the very first one in my list of didn't make it. And it only didn't make it because I have Tarantino'd. That's the only reason. It's a great pick. Yeah, we've, we've definitely visited Tarantino land quite a bit. I felt that I wanted to talk about this angle of it because I think it's also, you know, the same way with Darabont, like came out of writing a bunch of stuff and all of a sudden throws this amazing film on screen. Tarantino also comes out of clerking video store, a little film school, a lot of writing and a movie that most movie people is going to make their top something list yep. forever. Right. Yeah, forever. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. No, it's, it's a great pick. Yeah. All right, so my next one going in a very different direction. Well, actually, not that different genre-wise. We'll see. Uh, November 18th, 2005. It's a 72. Uh, I will give you Larry Miller and Corbin Bernstein. I'm only so I have this. There's definitely not in my top ten, or or even including the Fast Five. So I'm going to go on a limb because I did do a bunch of research here, and I know you. Am I right? So 2005. 2005. Mm, I, I don't write. So I, I actually deliberately don't write those things down anymore, just so that when it's guessing time, I can't like cross index stuff. Am I? I'm going to go on a limb. I think this is Shane Black and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Wow. I'm so proud to be your friend right now. Nailed it. Yes. Nailed it. Uh, So just because I want to orient you on the five word thing, uh, mouth on mouth, loud noise is what it would have been. (laughs) JT, I can't fully give you my concentration yet because I'm still just sitting here doing my little happy dance because this is like a true, I have this in my like where JT might go. Yeah. I know you like Shane Black a lot because you've talked about him a couple of times. Yep. And I know you like this movie, but I couldn't remember the cast to save my life right now. So listen, so Robert Downey Jr., Val Kilmer, Michelle Monaghan is like the real, those are the real players in it. Right. And uh, I've never, I've only ever got to reference this. I've never gotten to talk about it. And I, you're right. This is like, if we ever did like a top five movies podcast, which I assume 20 years from now when we stopped doing this, this that will be the last episode is we'll just do our, our, our <laughs> just the top five, five movies. Yeah. Um, but like for my personal top five movies, this is a contender. Uh, it's incredibly well-written. It, the acting is so good. It's so fast. It's like so deliberate. It's so well-paced. Here's the thing 
Shane Black has one of the most interesting careers of anyone in Hollywood of the last 30 years. Fight me. This guy, (laughs) he was an actor in Predator in 86. He was an actor in The Hunt for the Red October. He was an actor in RoboCop 3. He wrote Lethal Weapon 1 and 2. He wrote The Last Boy Scout. He wrote The Log Kiss Goodnight. He wrote this movie. He then goes on to write Iron Man 3 and The Nice Guys. He directs this. Then he directs Iron Man 3, which at that point is like a billion-dollar franchise. Then he goes on to do The Nice Guys, which is kind of a like I think is actually a relatively funny movie. And then he goes back and then directs The Predator, which he was in as an actor in 86. What a weird journey. And I also would argue if you're not like a film nerd or at least like venturing into nerddom, Shane Black is not somebody you've ever heard of. For sure. For sure. So Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is because you have seen this or have not seen this. I have probably the year it came out. Maybe actually, no, I would say I saw this a couple of years later. This was a revisiting sort of that indie film scene. I had sort of walked a bit away from after yep. the mid nineties and seeing some of his work, some of the, this is, I think when I started getting exposed to folks like Edgar Wright and the Simon Pegg and that crew. Sure. So definitely saw it. Definitely not in theaters. Okay, so yeah, so I don't want to go too far into the movie, but like in general, Shane Black is very interesting. The choices in this movie I thought were awesome. There's a lot of very interesting visual stuff. Um, I I credit this movie with bringing RDJ back because he is at his most frantic. Like he's so fast and so on his game and so like spacey, but still focused. Like it's just, it's so, so good. And as a director, I think you need to have a, like, you need to be able to create a vehicle for someone like that to exist in because he also wasn't like Iron Man yet. Like he wasn't Tony Starking it through, through the world, just like kicking down doors and doing whatever the hell he wanted. So I just think this is incredible. And I absolutely love this movie. I might, I think I might've just gotten that timeline wrong, but that's okay. Uh, I just think it's great. I think everybody should go see this movie. It's so much fun. It's such a fun movie. It's dark, but like in a very silly sort of, you know, indie indie movie kind of way. I think it's a great pick. I think I agree with you. Like you had, you had uh, Robert Downey Jr. showed up again with uh, what was it called Wonder Boys, which yep. was a few years before this. I don't remember how much. And then did something with uh, something, one of those weird Philip K. Dick movies, the Scanner, Scanner Darkly. Darkly. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the truth is like, and it, like it was this that pro- I would love to go research. Like, did this put him on Favreau's radar to then go do Iron Man? Yeah. The only thing that like, so the reason that, and again, I might have the timelines all wrong and I'm certainly not going to research it because uh, <laughs> that's not who I am. But if you watch this movie, you get a lot of Tony Stark. You get a lot of that like weird sort of like just hubris and fast and sort of like scattered, but geniusy. Like there's a lot of that in it and it just makes me laugh. And it's so good. I think it's so good. Nice. So I'm going to move us way back in time. I want to do this one next. Okay. 1957. Oh boy. This is in, we talk about favorite movies list. This is, this is a, a top tenor for me as an overall movie. Okay. 
I'll give you E.G. Marshall and Jack Klugman. Uh, I know Jack Klugman. I couldn't tell you what the hell this is, but I know who he is. And you'd recognize E.G. Marshall in a heartbeat. Okay. I will say made Pacino, cop, and criminal. Ooh, somebody who made Pacino a cop. So this is from 1957. So this person started directing in 1957 and then was directing Pacino in the 70s. That's correct. All right. Um, I don't have anything in my list from the 50s. So that's going to be a bummer. So I'm going to try to do what you did, which is what is Jeremy Love that's old? Love. So it's not Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, but you do love that. Do love that. That's uh, that's earlier than 57, isn't it? I think that's 40s, which is why I'm thinking. Like, it's like old, old. What's 50s? Um, Our kids will one day listen to this be like, wait a sec, you're saying the 50s wasn't that old, but like the 40s, now that's too old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, gonna ju- I'm just going to I'm gonna guess this is 12 Angry Men. It is 12 hey, Angry Men. Hey, I just know that's like one of your favorite movies. <laughs> yeah, directed by Sidney Lumet. And the movies he did with Pacino were Serpico and Dog Day Afternoon, which oh, are both cool. phenomenal movies. Unbelievable, yeah. He's then went on to do movies like Verdict, Death Trap. He did The Wiz of all things, but also did like Network and the Murder on the Orient Express movie that wins all the awards, not the most recent Kenneth Branagh version, which was eh. I thought it was pretty good. I wanted more out of it. I it thought It was a nod. It was a nod to the original. I thought they were doing a nice nod to the original. It was a nice nod. I felt they were, this is one of those movies where I felt pacing was very wrong. I thought they tried to make too many things action oriented that didn't need to be. I think my biggest concern, yeah, if we're going to go on a quick down that rabbit hole, I've read a lot of Agatha Christie and part of the point of Agatha Christie is it is not action at all. There's almost never action sequences other than maybe how the murder itself actually went down. But even then, it's typically not. So I did, I watched it really basically disappointed that they weren't building the suspense up. And Murder in the Orient Express is a phenomenal read. Like, Yeah, it's suspense. It's suspense, not action. That's a really good way to couch it. I think that's really fair. So, you know, it's funny because Brenna did Thor, the original, which didn't have nearly enough action. So. Right. Right. Learned the wrong lesson. Anyhow, back to Mr. Sidney. Just Sid, as I call him. Right, you're right. What an amazing career, but similar maybe in nature to Shawshank Redemption in that basically you got 12 guys in a room arguing about a trial case. It's sort of an interesting character exposition and 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 little bit of arcs and journeys here and there, but the dialogue is amazing. Obviously, because it's a play, right? So it's it's got to have... Good dialogue, otherwise not gonna not gonna hold up. A lot of plays don't work as movies. A lot of these kind of stories, like by all rights, if you had read the script, I, I again I don't know exactly how the how the green lighting approval process works, but if you're told this brand new director is gonna make a courtroom drama about the jury sitting in a room together, you're gonna be happy that you don't have to spend a lot on set decoration. But I don't <laughs> think you're green lighting the movie. Right, right. So uh, very funny. There you go. Well, yes, and you were right. You 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 know me well enough. This is an absolute favorite movie. 
and I'm I had no idea it was his director directorial debut. I'm gonna mess up that phrase for the entire rest of this cast. Yeah, that's okay. It's not an easy one. Can I tell you my only uh, Sidney Lumet uh, trivia? Because I know exactly one piece of trivia about him. Go for it. Never won an Oscar. Hmm. Which when you read through his stuff, I think he might have been given an honorary or like a in-memorial sort of deal. But I just remember, I don't remember who told me. It might have been my friend Tom. But somebody said to me at one point, we were talking about him. And it was just like, Red did the same thing you just did. Read through his IMDb credits, which he has so many directing credits, and so many of them are like really meaningful movies. Never won because he like lost to like the the Bridge River Kwai, and then he's one of those horrible timing things. Like he just came out against the Titanic every year, and just like never actually got got his win. Bummer. Yeah, he was. This movie was nominated for Best Director and Best Picture. Did not win. There you go. All right. All right, so now let's go, since you went into the 50s, I'll go as close to not the 50s as possible. Uh, October of 2018. Whoa. That's right. Uh, with a 66%. Um, let's see, let's see. Uh, I could give you this whole cast and you're not going to get any of it. So it nope. doesn't matter. Catherine uh, Watterson, Lucas Hedges, Sonny Siljak, Olin Prenot. I'm not even picking up like a region. Those don't even feel like a specific. <laughs> there weren't like, you know, a bunch of like Stellan Skarsgårds where you're like, okay, I know what part of the world you're in. Right. That was just rando names as far as I, my eyes, my ears could tell. So what's your five words, bud? Intermediate time three decades ago. Intermediate time. Noon? Midday, af- midday, mid, mid, mid. Is this midsummer? Nope, three decades ago. So not the 2010s or 2000s, but the mid 90s. Mid 90s. Is that the title of the movie? You've never seen this, and I know you haven't. So never, never heard of this, buddy. And and that's that's the part. Like I usually hear about movies. I don't. I don't see as many as I wish I I would or or had. Uh, so this is Jonah Hill's directorial debut. Oh, I had read about this. I don't recall the title. This this is when him and then a bunch of, like there were a bunch of interesting. Yeah. So there's a there's a like basically there's like a three year window where a lot of this was happening, uh, which was really cool. And of that three year window, with the exception of one person who I'm not going to mention in case she's on your list, but she's incredible and she deserves to be somewhere in this. Uh, but mid nineties for me. Uh, is incredibly nostalgic. And as a director, the reason I'm so impressed and feel uniquely qualified to comment on this movie is because it very specifically speaks to me. Like it was about growing up when I grew up. And so watching a movie of someone trying to document the life that you were living, even though it's SoCal and I was an East Coast kid, but whatever, um, the moment in time this was incredibly authentic and I thought it was not overdone. I thought it was true to its mission and I couldn't believe how much I liked it. Like I walked out of this going, whoa. And not just because of the, like the, you know, icky nostalgia stuff, which I was like, oh, I remember wearing Vans, but more specifically like, holy moly, that was really well done. Hmm. 
And to kind of like pile on, it was well done with a bunch of people I just named that the person in my life that knows the most about movies and films has never heard of because none of them are anybody except maybe Lucas Hedges. Everybody else basically like this was sort of their first time on film. And so Jonah Hill, who clearly knows a lot about making good movies uh, and has learned from some of the best, like his first time writing, directing, gets a bunch of people who it's their first time acting and then puts together a really tight, really cohesive, beautifully paced, great story that's authentic to my generation. I was like, I'm still kind of amazed and it probably doesn't belong in the top five period. But for me, I feel uniquely caught. Like, like, like I said, I feel uniquely qualified to say why this was so well done. And against a bunch of other movies that I was like, oh, that's great, but don't resonate. Or I don't really know if that's good or not. This one, I can tell you, this movie felt like the time and he nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. And I was just so impressed and still am and highly recommend people seeing it, specifically people that grew up in that time frame. Love it. I, I I remember this happening. This is around the same time as like eighth grade by Bo Burnham and some of those yep. other like younger actors or, or stars coming out with some movies. I never quite made it around to seeing it, but you, have you rewatched this? Is this a, Oh yeah. More I've, than seen one it. Viewing? I've seen it twice. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I love I'll, it. Uh, I'll check it on the old streaming services there. Please do. So I'm doing a real-time pivot on a pick here, JT. I, I had one here that's one of these, like, great movies. And, I, and the director did a phenomenal job. And it is actually amazing that this was a first-time movie. But I'm realizing I personally just don't love this movie enough. So I'm going to bump it down. We'll love revisit it, it in, the, in the pong. Love it. Is that okay? I love when you – I love pivots. And instead, I'm going to promote – a fairly mediocre overall movie that I just have a lot of personal affinity to. Brilliant. Okay. 1994. Okay. <laughs> Made Spinning Wind a villain. All right. So that's whoever directed Twister. Ooh. Um, which, have, which, as we identified earlier, will be no help for me. <laughs> Because I'm not going to be able to figure this out. But okay. I'm trying to think of who I can't even, I can think of everybody who was in Twister, but directors are not my strong suit. So I'm not sure. This, this is a hard to guess. This is like a flavor of the moment. This is like 94 through like 96. And then back off you go, sir. Uh, okay. The, the, the director in question name is, I believe it's pronounced Jan, but it's, it's either Jan or Jan DeBont. I believe okay. it's Jan. The movie is Speed. Oh, oh, I really like Speed. That was his first time making a movie? So things I do know uh, from memory. I didn't even have to do research on this. Jan Debont, I believe it's Jan. Jan Debont was a cinematographer, uh, a first a first uh, chair director, etc. Did a bunch of interesting action stuff. Worked with the, who are the, the, the guys who did like all the huge 80, late 80s, early 90s action, action movies. The uh, One of them passed away. Um, they did like Days of Thunder and and all those kind of movies. Yeah, I'm still bad at this. It hasn't. The changed. opening sequence starts with that like lightning bolt. Bruckheimer. Oh, Jerry. Bruckheimer. Jerry Bruckheimer and the other guy, who rest in peace, etc. Anyhow, Yandabad did a bunch of those kind of movies, and someone gave him the keys to the kingdom or the keys to the bus, I guess. To the bus. And he went off. Thank you. He went off and did Speed, which 
is ridiculous. Absolutely. It's a ridiculous movie. The premise doesn't make sense. And a bunch of the individual scenes, like the jump and a few other things, it's the, the as the Bill Simmons would say, the picking nits on speed is really easy to do. Big time. But at the end of the day, this movie ushered in a type of action movie storytelling that we didn't really have before. You know, from one perspective, it's Die Hard on a Bus. Yep. But it wasn't really Die Hard on a Bus because it was far more action-oriented than Die Hard was. There's a lot going on. Things are moving around, obviously, all the time. Yep. And I give them full props on the cleverness of trying to make a story make sense that makes no sense. Like right. it is the dumbest hostage move you could ever think of. Like you're, you leave everything to chance. You're basically just assuming that bus is going to blow up and you're probably going to happen like four minutes after the movie starts. For sure. Right? Like there's no version of this where the villain expected to have anything happen other than the bus blow up. Correct. And yet we sit there gripped for an hour and a half. I've probably seen this movie maybe eight, 10 times. It's a lot of fun. And each time, whether it's the opening sequence in the elevators, whether it's all of the stuff on the bus, you know, baby Jeff Daniels, whatever's going on here, speed is a lot of fun. And I want to give Mr. DeMont credit because this is a movie that should have been like a Razzies kind of movie. This, that we should have made fun of this one, right? The story should be more like, you remember that time they tried to make a movie about a terrorist who puts a bomb on a bus if it slows down in Los Angeles? Yeah. Right? Makes no sense. Should have been a no. truck driving to Vegas or something. For sure. So this will probably be the only time Mr. DeMont gets credit on this podcast. But I realized, like, I got to give him a shout out for entertaining at least 20 hours of my life away. Uh, I am very surprised to hear that this is somebody's directorial debut because all of story holes, whatever aside, like holy directing achievement Batman, because this movie's to your point, I couldn't agree more. This is not nearly as bad as it should be. It should be a bus wreck, dare I say. And instead it's really good. Yeah. This should have been short Sharknado. Sharknado. For sure. Like the, but like this should be like speed seven, but the bus is full of sharks this time. Yeah, right. and it's, it holds up. It's actually still a lot of fun to watch. Again, like completely suspending disbelief, this movie's a lot of fun. Well, the reason it works, I think, is that the you're suspending disbelief about the overall premise. Like, I've always had this thing where it's like Jurassic Park is my go-to. I will suspend the disbelief that they could possibly suck out a mosquito from amber and poof, I get a dinosaur. But I will not suspend the belief that a 10-year-old child climbing on an electric fence doesn't get incinerated the moment it gets turned on. Yeah, right? that's fair. So that's the same with speed. I have every fine, like, okay, the premises are going to get this bus moving around. Somehow they'll make that work. Whereas when the bus actually jumps, it just fully doesn't work. But I'm like, that's the annoying part, not the overall. If you're overall upset with the premise, just don't watch speed. Just don't watch speed. Yeah, I agree. No, this is a great pick. Love this pick. All right, so my next one, I'm going to... It's not what I was going to do, but I'm going to stay in this direction now. Uh, we'll stay right in 2018. Uh, this is a 89 on Metacritic, and I actually think that's low. That's genuinely how I feel. Uh, I could give you the whole cast again. Josh Hamilton, Emily Robinson, Isla Fisher. Or Elsie Fisher, sorry, not Isla Fisher. You actually do know who she is. <laughs> sorry, what was the year again? 2018. Look at you with all your new movies. Yeah. 
All right, let's have the five words. Just before high school. Eighth grade. Eighth grade. Yeah, you stepped on this one and I don't care. Eighth grade. It's funny because as I was saying it, I was like, oh, I'll bet you JT's seen that one, which I also have not seen. And I know he loves Bo Burnham, so I'll bet mm-hmm. you he's going to put that on his list. But that was all sort of real time. So that's good. Listen, why it's so why it's on the list? I literally the first line I wrote to myself in the notes: "Let's address the elephant in the room." My respect level for Bo Burnham is literally off the charts. Moving past that, uh, <laughs> this movie is astounding to me because. Um, there's lots of high school movies. There's lots of like kids movies, which tends to be younger. Um, putting this movie like directly in eighth grade landscape, I thought was very interesting. Uh, the way this is filmed, acted, portrayed, it's so awkward. The whole hour and 40 is just painful. Uh, which is the point. And I think there's something really deliberate about everything that Bo does because he is one of those like scary art brains that like you're really happy exists and also super grateful you don't have. Like the way he kindly approaches an eighth grade girl's truth in this, I don't think can be overstated. Uh, It is just like just the truth of her existence and the loneliness and the desire and the effect of social media and the confusion and these like epic highs and lows and the relationship with her dad. Like it's just really brave and really honest. And uh, like at, at moments, like please turn this off hard to watch, which is what I think eighth grade feels like all the time. Yeah. I think that's, that's going through eighth grade is like, can, can we just, skip ahead for some of this. Like, I don't want to watch what's about to happen. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And like, I think it's so, I, I was amazed at it and remain amazed at his ability to do that in such a way that as an adult, it doesn't feel pervasive watching it. Like you watch it and you feel for this character, but you're also very immersed in the awkwardness that she feels, which is really orienting as an adult to like be reminded what that feels like. And I could tell you like as a parent, like I hope that I remember to watch this movie when my girls are like in like older because it's just really like, it's just really truthful and it's, it's a really hard thing to do with kids that age. And again, as a first time director plucking a bunch of not knowns and nailing execution, I can't, I can't like, I just don't, I can't even imagine how hard that is because I've seen really good directors with really good actors do a really poor job. And that's not what happened with either Jonah Hill's or Bo Burnham's. Jonah Hill, like in mid nineties, is, is again. I feel uniquely positioned to judge that movie, and it was brilliant. <laughs> eighth grade, I, I'm not uniquely positioned to tell you how an eighth grade an eighth grade girl would feel in you know the, the late 2010s. What I can tell you is, walking out of that movie, I felt like I had a completely different appreciation and understanding of children today in general, which is a really weird thing to do in a movie. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I look at my seventh and ninth graders for for inspiration on that one. So, JT, if you had to make a choice, yes. and I'll give you with both Sir Jonah Hill and Sir Bo Burnham, yeah, for the rest of their careers, they only act or direct. What do you choose? Um, it's a very hard question because I don't like Bo. Is his comedy acting? Yes. 
Oh boy. Jonah, sorry, buddy. You're you're not acting anymore. You're gonna have to Jonah would have to like I I don't know if you were actually asking me to pick only one can do the other, but that's how my brain took it, so that's what I'm gonna do. Oh, uh, I meant for both both. You get to choose for both of them which one, which so, which path. Uh so Jonah, I I would put Jonah behind the camera because I think he has a big enough resume in front of the camera that I'd be more interested to see just interested to see what he does behind it. Bo, it's a it's a painful decision for me because I think he belongs wherever he's willing to go. That said, after I mean, you know, anyone who's listened to this podcast may have listened to me basically just fangirling over him for 30 minutes over inside. I can't not have him in front of the camera if he's willing to be there. So I would I would wait for him to act again. Nice. Very nice. Uh, both movies still on my watch list. I got to actually get to them one of these days. Ace Grade's a better movie. Mid-90s will resonate better for you. Fair enough. We'll go all the way back to, ooh, was I in eighth grade? That would be so crazy. No, 1984. Okay. I must have been like third grade. I definitely didn't see this in the theaters. 1984. Sure. Michael McKean. Okay. Uh, better Call Saul and, and, yep. and those. Yep. Ed Begley Jr. Okay. Do you know the movie already? I think I do. Told story about Twu Love. Hmm. Now I'm nervous because I thought this was Rob Reiner and Spinal Tap. Okay. You thought correctly. Okay. Because I, Rob Reiner did then go on to direct the Princess, Princess Bride. Bride. Princess Bride. Right. Okay. Yeah. I feel good about this. How amazing. I mean, one of the legendary com- uh, comic movies of, of, all time, Did I say comic comedy movies of all time. You know, it sets the bar in so many ways. Like Chris Guest wrote this, amazing. And I almost, I will just fess up. There's a movie Chris Guest made his first direct. I actually thought this was Guest, so I was going to be like, I'll bet you I get to do Chris Guest in this. And then I was like, Oh, that's Rob Reiner. And then I'm like, Oh, that's his for okay done. Now let's go see where was Chris Guest's first movie because all of a sudden I was hoping to myself it was waiting for Guffman. And I'm going to be like, this is just going to be great. Because they would both make the cut for different reasons. But Christopher Guest's first directorial debut was a movie called The Big Picture, which I have actually seen three or four times. It's with Kevin Bacon. I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. But it's not like, it's a missable. If you don't end up seeing it, you know, we can still be friends. Okay, that's good. (laughs) On the other hand, Spinal Tap. Right, Which, if you don't see Spinal Tap, I don't know, again, goes back to the, why do you listen to podcasts like these? Please go see Spinal Tap. Please rent, stream, rewind, do something with it. Just buy it. Yeah. You'll you'll watch it again. Just buy Spinal Tap. I'm realizing I was actually 11 when it came out, which is really special with the whole goes to 11. I went to 11 when it came out. So... I think this is great. Like Rob Reiner is coming out of the seventies where he's best known as meathead from all in the family. Sure. First time they get him behind the screen is basically with some of the funniest people. I was going to put Harry Shearer in the, in the list, but I think he was a bit too much of a giveaway. Christopher guest is perfect in his role. Amazing that he can write direct and do all the other stuff. And obviously he has his own swim lane to be in, but he swims it so well. So well. But there had not been mockumentaries before this movie. That's right. Like, that's the thing. Like, I take a moment to pause. And yes, you had, like, you, you, 
actually, I wonder if there were mockumentaries. I'm starting to think right now about some 70s stuff that happened. I'll have to go do some homework. So if I got that wrong, I'm sorry, everybody. But we could argue it would Shawshank the mockumentary category if there were more than like eight movies in the whole category. Right? Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's... I'm sorry. I didn't mean to pause. There's no question. The answer is just yeah. yes. Yeah, of course it is. It, and to do with such a fun movie, and the music's actually like listenable. Like, yeah. There was this whole thing with the Spinal Tap soundtrack for years afterward. So to take this guy who sort of looks like... I mean, if you looked at... I don't know if you, you didn't see All in the Family. Did you ever see All in the Family, JT? I, my mom loved All in the Family. I've seen most of that series. All right. So, like, you couldn't... Meathead is one of those characters that you would assume would be stuck with him for life. For sure. Right. That's like a, that's that that's not quite like a Frodo or a, a Harry Potter level of iconic role, but it's hard to then picture Rob Reiner be, it, it directs a fairly sophisticated comedy. Yeah. So I'm loving I'm loving the Reiner. Just saying. Yeah, Reiner's one of the guys that I looked up and I was like, what's the first thing he did? This is very clearly in my list of stuff because Spinal Tap, like it's just, it's Spinal Tap. Uh, I love Reiner. He's incredible. And also like, if you look at his run of the stuff he did after this, it it doesn't get worse. Like it just, he just keeps doing incredible movies forever. Like it's so weird. Um, Yeah, he's the best. Reiner's Reiner's a classic. He's also just like such a happy dude. Uh, All right, my last one, I'm going to breeze through because I don't think I've ever actually talked about this movie before, and I could, but we've talked about a lot of stuff. I want to be conscious of time for our friends. August 18, 2006, it's an 80 on Metacritic, probably could be higher. Uh, How about Alan Arkin and Brian Cranston? What year? 2006. With Alan Arkin and Brian Cranston. Yeah. Brian, Alan Arkin, I was thinking for a second you were talking about, but I don't think it was a directorial debut. I was thinking for a second you meant the um, Cusack movie, uh, Gross Point Blank. It's not that. 2006 with that cast. This is interesting. So five words, small woman under UV rays. Small woman. Under and there's, I, I have not picked up on the shtick of yours this week. Is there one, or are these just clues about the movie? Yeah, it's it's the movie title. I'm basically trying to give. Oh, you you're doing the title. that. Yeah, but not 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 like not synonyms this week. I'm giving you definitions of the words from the deal. Okay, then that would that's Little Miss Sunshine. There he is. There he is. Yeah, this is a day. I didn't know this. Who who who's this by? So Jonathan Dayton and, and Valerie Ferris, who I am more familiar with because they have done every music video you've ever loved in your whole life, all of them. Uh, so they started working with REM all the way back in like 1982. They've done Beastie Boys, Extreme, Smashing Pumpkins, Weezer, Oasis, Janet Jackson, Corn, almost the entire Red Hot Chili Peppers catalog after like '94, Macy Gray. Uh, crazy, like crazy. They didn't have, like they had no other stuff. Like obviously that's a lot of work and they've done a lot of really cool things. And when you think about some of the people I just mentioned, Beastie Boys, Smashing Pumpkins, Weezer, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers, they're storytellers for sure. Like in their music videos, like it wasn't like just like film it and rip it and get rid of it. Like they were doing stuff. 
But the main reason it's on the on the list to me is because like if you think about Little Miss Sunshine as a indie film, like as it was intended to be watched, uh, it's pretty perfect. Like it's crafted. It's a great indie film. It's, it's a great cr- indie film. Yeah, it's crafted like exactly how you would think a really well polished indie director would do things. Like, sure, sure. It, it has all the like you know, the the way the use of movement and color and quiet and silence and the deliberate pace. And sometimes it's slow. Like there's a lot of brightness in this really dark movie. So it's very light, but it's also very heavy. It's like got all the Wes Anderson-y things. Um, but at the same time still has like sort of that undercurrent of like, nobody will ever see this. It, I don't know. I just think it's, I think it doesn't read as a first time. And because the movie itself is so damn good, it's so good that if you were like, oh, this is their first foyer into film, I would have been like, no, it's not. Like this feels really, really intentional and polished to me, like in a very, very serious way. This is a highly rewatchable movie, which to bring up what you said earlier, I'd put this in that Shawshank category. This is not a particularly happy film at all. Right. Until the very end. And even then, the payoff's not like Shawshank. I don't want to spoil it, but like it pays itself off in the way that this movie would allow itself to. But it doesn't pay off like Shawshank does. Uh, I just think this movie is so impressive and really, really like... The, my favorite thing about this movie is the pacing. It feels like it's plodding along and you're like, wow, this is kind of slow. And then it's over and you're like, but I wanted more, which is a really hard thing to do. Uh, and I just yeah. think this is so cool. And Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, I think, are very interesting in general. So, yeah, Little Miss Sunshine. No, it's a nicely paced movie. The one that's coming to mind as a comparable is something I just watched a few weeks ago is um, the Viggo Mortensen, Captain Fantastic. Great comp. That's a great comp. Similar pacing. You're just like, okay, you know, this is moving some ups, a lot of downs. And then it sort of comes to an end. You're like, I'll watch them on the bus a little more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's exactly, it's exactly, yeah. Like, ju- not like, I need more, like, not unsatiated, but like, I have room for dessert. Like, you want a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would watch Captain Fantastic and the gang go to Vegas. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That was a weekly. <laughs> <laughs> I That would be an awesome, I think, I'm feeling like it's a Hulu original. Is Captain Fantastic and the gang. And every week, it's like a Quantum Leap style. Which would be great. That man, somebody make this. I like this. It's just a, this a good procedural thing. about this wacky family or a little Miss Sunshine, that family too. I can, I'll take either. In yeah, fact, well, they could meet up. Hey, there you go. Unfortunately, now the little Miss Sunshine cast has blown up and now they're all like super famous and do crazy other things. And Abigail Breslin's like a person and an adult. So it would be harder. Mm, we can make it work. You can always make it work. All right. So uh, let's get into Contender Pong. My friend, you start this week. All right, I'm going to breeze through most of these. I don't have a lot of extra pitter-patter because we've talked about them many times over, which which I think is the most surprising thing. Like this episode, there's a, it's hard to get new, new titles in because so many of the movies we love are here. So no particular order, but we'll start with 1982. Okay. And I will say Revisited High School in 1995. Revisited High School in 1995. So... Some whoever directed Billy Madison. No, a movie you like, I think was in your high school list or my high school list was definitely in a list. I don't know. Go ahead. The the follow-up movie was Clueless, if that helps. Oh, it doesn't. I don't remember who did that. Amy Heckerling from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. 
Oh, I did know that. And I did. I, I When I say know that, I learned that in doing the Clueless thing. Okay. Uh, I'll go 2007 or yeah, 2017. Uh, this one really, I could have made a very, very strong argument for why this should have been on my actual list. Uh, woman beaked warm blooded vertebrae. <laughs> woman. Uh, woman beaked? Beaked. Yeah. B E A K E D? Yeah, like has a beak. Can you use it in a sentence? Yeah, it's a, the definition of a particular type of a vez, which is a, a beaked, warm-blooded vertebrae. I have no idea what this is. This is Ladybird by Greta Gerwig. Oh, uh, <laughs> nice. I will go all the way back to 1941. Oh, boy. He didn't need no badges. Yeah, I have no idea what this is. So that's from the lines from Treasure of Sierra Madre, yep. directed by, which is not the movie in, in question. The director is John Huston. Okay. His directorial debut, said it right that time, The Maltese Falcon. Wow. John Huston, who had like a really long Hollywood career, like really, yeah. really long. Okay. Um, Key Largo, African Queen, Man Who Would Be King. Again, movies we've seen, love, talked about. Couldn't believe that was his first movie. Crazy. All right, 1999, existing as Polish gospel author? Existing as Polish gospel author. Is being, oh, wait, is, is this being John Malkovich? It is, yeah. All right, on Just, my list of things I thought JT would pick. Yeah, Spike Jones, another another music video guy who sauntered into uh movies very well by the way did he do adaptation i don't remember i think he did he might have i i liked i like being john malkovich but it was one of those movies that left me i i've i've, I've always like liked it but like with a with like a caveat or something i don't know it, there's something about it that always throws me off a little the, so the, here's very quickly the weird thing about Malkovich for me. Uh, absolutely love being John Malkovich. I don't think it's very rewatchable. I think it very quickly rubs off on you as far as like being done with. And then like going back to it, you're like, it loses all of its fun. Maybe that's it. I, I think it was also too, I felt it was too long. It's like a, one of those like, get rid of 20 minutes of that somewhere along the way. Go more into the craziness earlier. Just, just let's get going. Yeah, fair. 1980. Made most repetitive movie ever. Made most repetitive movie ever. What would be the most repetitive? So the next thing would be most repetitive because you're talking about the follow-up to this movie. Not necessarily the initial, the original follow-up, but a key movie this person made. Was repetitive. Is it that? Is this Harold Ramis? It is Harold Ramis. So is this Caddyshack? It is Caddyshack. Okay. The repetitive movie he made was Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. See, okay, fair enough. All right. Yeah, this is great. I thought you might have Caddyshack. Harold Ramis I went to be, just because, not that I think Caddyshack belongs on the best directorial debuts, but what, <clears throat> but what Ramis turned into puts a pretty, it's a hard line to not consider. Uh, all right, my next one, I'm going to go more into your time. Let's do 89 and speak whatever you want. Oh, Say Anything by Cameron Crowe. Yeah, 
That's didn't right. didn't have that as one of the picks. I have that in my way down the list, uh, not one of your picks. You'll you'll notice I'm letting you fully off the hook on all your Caddyshack hate right there, and I'm I'm just not I'm just going to blow right by it because it, it doesn't deserve my attention. It's getting your attention right now, but that's okay. <laughs> it is. It is. I will. I will not. It will. It will. I don't know how it's coming back, but it's coming back. 1994. Okay. Like Hitchcock, but doesn't speak. Uh, this is Clerks. Kevin Smith. That's correct. Great pick. Yeah, this is on my list. Uh, I will go. Where do I, where do I want to go from here? I think I'll do. Oh, you know what? This is one that actually really, really considered being in my top five, but just couldn't quite pull the trigger. There's a little bit of a hint there. 2014, first name candle starter. John Wick was someone's direct first Yeah. Name. So Chad Stileski has only really done the Wick series. And the reason that I was so impressed with that is because that's a daunting thing to just come out of the gate. And not like he's got a bunch of other random credits. It's this and then more John Wick. And considering how good John Wick was, like, you came in pretty hot, bud. Like, that's a big task that you nailed. So much respect, my dude. He's the Jan- Jan de Bont of John Wick movies. He's the Jan de Bont of the Wick series. <laughs> um, all right, my last one, and this is the one that fell out of the top five. And and again, it's a uh, great movie, but I'm realizing like I just don't personally love it that much. But I can't, I have to put it in 1999. Okay, directed Bond, James Bond, twice. Directed Bond, James Bond twice. So I have a guess here, but I don't actually know if I'm right. Did Sam Mendes do Bond? He did. So this is American Beauty then. It is. best pick for, So this is the first time a first time director, not only won best director, also won best picture, yeah. a slew of other things. It's a phenomenal movie. It, it's hard to rewatch just... Because it's hard. It's hard to rewatch. It's hard to rewatch. But I have seen it, I think, two and maybe like a third times. And it doesn't bore. And in every way, while watching, you're like, this is an amazing movie. And I don't love watching it, but I give it so much respect that I have to, you know, how do you, how do I not include it? Like, I gotta. Yeah. Nope. Totally fair. All right, my last one that I'll do here is a movie that you definitely, I don't think, have seen, and you definitely won't, but that's okay. 2017, Leave Away from Inside. Is this Get Out? Get Out by Jordan Peele. Yeah, it's a, it, for, for, for the genre it's in, it's, uh, it's like, it's one of the better ones done in a very long time. Dude, I'm just going to say, even before we do our Fast Five, that you're, you're, you crushed the finding interesting movies by interesting people that are warranted. Like, I don't think you went down the, Oh, I've got some stumper of a pick like me, like me doing Chris guest and, and the big picture. I, as much as I do like the movie, it just can't make that list. I think your picks are all really, really strong and lean into it in a fun way that, that well done, buddy. Thanks. Well, can, now just for two seconds and then we'll just kind of tear through stuff. Cause we are running late, but, uh, do you now see why on my list, I when you wrote back, I wrote to Jeremy at Texas week and I was like, Hey, maybe a fun way to split this up is, was actor, was not actor. And you were like, right. I have so few of them on my list. And I looked at my list and I'm like, what? Because <laughs> like a lot of, 
Jordan Peele. I've got other guys we haven't even talked about yet, but Bobby De Niro. Then I had you know Jonah Hill. Technically, I could have used Bo Burnham, like Shane Black. Technically, so I'm like all these all these people are actors at some point. Uh, so I was surprised, but then also now hearing your list, I'm like, oh yeah, we actually haven't really gotten there. Yeah, I would have had Rob Reiner, Kevin Smith, who acted in his own movie, and Harold Ramis. I mean, John Huston did some acting too, but not in Falcon. Yeah, that was way and later. That would be, though, wasn't it? Yeah, because his name was Tar- I guess Tarantino. He is. Um, yeah. He's in a bunch of his own movies, and he voices. He voiced uh, Gandalf in the first Lord of the Rings backsheet picture, just to tie that loop back together. There you go. All right, let's do the Fast Five, our quick hits on just sort of what we wish we could have included. I got to tell you that there's a there's a, one last thing I want to address after that. So, so let's do let's do that Fast Five. For me, Tim Burton, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Sure. Tim Miller, Deadpool. Have that. F. Gary Gray, Friday. Have that. Michael Bay, Bad Boys. Thought about it. And I'll go to David and Spa, Hoosiers. It's funny. So I thought Hoosiers might, might actually make your list. So I've got uh, Zach Braff for Garden State, uh, Ryan Coogler mm-hmm. for Fruitville Station, uh, John, John, John Singleton for Boys in the Hood, uh, yeah. Tony Kane for American History X. And then Ben Affleck for Gone Baby Gone, who has gone on to not only win an Oscar, but I actually think he's an amazing director. Nice list. The only one, two, there are two that I thought you'd pick that you did not. One was, I thought you'd do Sofia Coppola for Virgin Suicides. So thought about it. It's, it's, it's on my extended list. Okay. And I thought you would do the Farrelly Brothers for Dumb and Dumber. So didn't do Farrelly Brothers, but did wind up with Adam McKay on my list for Anchorman just because of who McKay became. Fair enough. So I had these five in a separate quickie list, which is five people that I know the art work, the art deserved it, but I didn't see them. Barry Levinson's first movie was Diner, who then goes on to do The Natural, Young Sherlock Holmes, Tin Men, Good Morning Vietnam, Rain Man, Avalon, and Bugsy. That's wild. Ryan Coogler, I never saw Fruitville Station. So I had that one. Yes, you did. Sophia, uh, which I just mentioned. Steven Soderbergh, I thought you would peg me with this one. Sex, Lies, and Videotape was his first movie. Wow. I didn't even Never think saw about it. him. Holy moly. And then Mike Nichols, because I was hoping to graduate, but it was actually Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which I just have not seen. Oh, my God. I have. And how did I miss? I just didn't go far back enough. Mike Nichols is a huge miss. Oy, what a bummer. That's a great, that's a good, that's a good additional five. <laughs> I, I can go 10 more without even blinking, by the way. It's, it's insane. The, the list it's bonkers. Yeah. What's crazy is that we like, we've had a lot of crossover in like this additional list. I've still easily got 15. Like it's, it's unreal. It's unreal, but we do have to stop eventually uh, because you know, people have got stuff to do and you can only listen to us on one and a half X for so long. So you, my friend, have to tell us what we're doing next week. You one and a half X? You fancy. I'm, I'm down there at 1.25 X. Uh, I don't know. I'm usually a one X guy because I like the tenation of people's voice matters a lot to me. But like, mm. you know, it depends on what I'm listening to. <laughs> I can't get the full chipmunk, but I think you can always go half chipmunk. Yeah, half chipmunk's acceptable, I think. Well, given that we deem that acceptable, we could make an argument, but to make a really constructive argument and a really well-structured one and to really get a a conclusive thing together, we probably want to consult someone of a certain type of role, JT. Okay. 
This is coming literally out of nowhere. Okay, it was okay. just in my little archives of ideas I've had. Best movies, best lawyers in a movie. Best law, best lawyer in a movie. Oh, boy. Now, to, to, to complicate you and us, but also to sort of spread the pool a little, does not need to be a courtroom drama or even feature court action. If there's a... If, you know, I prefer that it's not like happens to be like if one of the characters in The Hangover happens to be a lawyer, I don't think that would count because sure. there's got to be some legalese is my little uh, asterisk, maybe. OK, maybe. so we're not necessarily saying that this is the person we'd hire to be our lawyer, but they're the best lawyer who is portraying who who is in a movie. Your favorite lawyers in movies. Who be who, who who do the lawyer thing? They gotta have their time in movie in a lawyerly fashion. Surprisingly, I've got a couple rattling around immediately. Unsurprisingly, I I think that's one of those like we could all think of leave. There there are enough great courtroom dramas to make this straightforward. That is true. All right. Well, listen. Legally, you don't have to tell your friends to listen to the podcast and subscribe and rate us on on iTunes, but just you should. Um, we, we don't want to take legal action. We wouldn't even if we could. We love you. Thank you for being here as always. But non-legally, I am compelled to tell you, subscribe, tell your friends. We'll see you next week on the Lo-Fi Top Talk.